Thank you so much for listening. Before we get to the show, I hope you'll take just a moment to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, depending on which platform you listen on. We have so many great guests and deep conversations coming up in the following weeks. And if you'd like to get involved and join those conversations, please follow us on social media. You can find me on Facebook at Landry Miller or on Twitter and Instagram at Landry for Tulsa. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Today, we are going to be discussing climate change, how impactful it is on our everyday lives and how we can work to combat it. We'll be talking to Nancy Moran on how to get involved, and she'll share with us not only her work on this important issue, but also Tulsa's relationship with climate change and tell us all about the Tulsa Ready for 100 campaign. If I'm being honest, this episode got me a little emotional. So before you get into all of that, I felt it was appropriate to share a little bit about mental health. The order is rapidly fading, and the first one now will later be last for the times they are changing. If I'm being 100% honest, I have not been doing great. I've been surviving. Like most people, my mental health sits somewhere along the line of exhausted and helpless. You know, we all have our own stories of how the world fell apart for us earlier this year. And in fact, a survey from the Center for Disease Control found that from June 24th to June 30th, of this year, adults in the United States reported considerably elevated adverse mental health conditions associated with COVID-19. And as time continues on, that's only increasing. Using validated screening instruments, the CDC's survey found that over 40.9% of the 5,470 respondents reported an adverse mental or behavioral health condition, including those who reported symptoms of anxiety disorder or depressive disorder, uh, trauma-related symptoms, new or increased substance use, or thoughts of suicide even. The prevalence of symptoms of anxiety and depression were substantially higher than reported in 2019, and people with pre-existing psychiatric disorders reported an even higher prevalence of symptoms compared with those that don't have an established or clinically diagnosed uh, disorder. I think the pandemic has actually brought the idea that normal, everyday people need to tend to their mental health. They need to keep keep up with it. Because we all need to be aware of it. Not just people with mental disorders or artists or comedians or musicians. It's everyone, even people who never once thought about their mental well-being before COVID-19. So let's talk quickly about what stress during an infectious disease outbreak could sometimes cause. Things like fear and worry about your own health or the health of your loved ones, your financial situation or your job, or a loss of support services that you rely on. It could be changes in sleep or eating patterns. 
It could be difficulty sleeping or concentrating, worsening of chronic health problems, worsening of mental health conditions, or an increase even in tobacco and or alcohol or other substances. Your addict friends are at very high risk right now, and I hope if you're able to maybe find some time to reach out and share some encouragement. In fact, that's one of the best ways to keep not only your own spirits high and keep some semblance of socialization with the outside world, it's by reaching out and helping others, while also remembering that you cannot caretake and help others to the point that you're neglecting your own mental health. It's quite the balancing act. And don't worry, if you're not someone who would generally describe yourself as anything but fairly balanced before the pandemic, it doesn't mean that your hopelessness is a full-on mental disorder. Because merely experiencing an uptick in some symptoms of anxiety or depression does not necessarily mean that you've reached that distress impairment threshold, much less that you have a full-on mental disorder. A formal clinical diagnosis of a mental disorder has wholly different implications, both medical, legal, and psychological, than those that are associated with, say, a normal or adaptive response to the stress and strain of the COVID-19 pandemic. And of course, I don't want to minimize the mental health challenges posed by COVID-19 pandemic. Individuals with established psychiatric diagnosis, for example, post-traumatic stress disorder, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, um, borderline personality disorder as well, may be experiencing serious pandemic-related increases in their illness and may require immediate treatment. There's also a strong emerging case of evidence that COVID-19 may lead to serious and enduring neurological complications. So care and treatment of these seriously affected individuals should be our highest priority. But we must also carefully monitor the long-term psychological effects that the COVID-19 pandemic may have on children and adolescents. I say all this because I just... I don't want you to feel like I do sometimes, and I know this is something I catch myself in a lot, which is that I feel so isolated and so alone, and I don't want you to feel alone. So many of us are struggling, and I hope that you, I hope that you don't think that you are by yourself in these feelings, because we are all lost right now. We are all scared. We are all trying to remember what our purpose is or searching for what our purpose is supposed to be. If you need any kind of support, any kind of encouragement or help, please take a second to put all your hesitation and your self-consciousness and your shame or your guilt of feeling helpless and sad, depressed, angry, scared, whatever it is, put that aside and reach out to someone you know or reach out to a professional. I'll be including uh, I'll be including in the description of this podcast resources and how you can reach out to the disaster distress helpline, how you can reach out to the national suicide prevention lifeline, national domestic violence hotline, national child abuse hotline, national sexual assault hotline, the elder care locator, and the veterans crisis line. 
All of the information on how to get a hold of them and get in touch with them is in the description here. So maybe you're like me and maybe you need a little help and that is okay. Please don't feel any shame or embarrassment about that. If you need any help, ask for it. Because the only way, the only way we'll get through this alive is by getting through it together. With the cold months approaching, nothing sounds better than curling up next to a warm fire, sipping on a cup of hot chocolate and cracking open an intricate and mind-boggling homicide investigation. That's right. That's why, thank God, we have Hunt a Killer. It's the game that gets you off your phone and thrusts you and your friends and family into an ongoing murder mystery investigation. Hunt a Killer is one of the fastest growing subscription boxes in the country. So whether it's game night or date night, Hunt a Killer brings people together by challenging them to decode ciphers, to examine clues, and to solve puzzles. And if you're a detective that prefers to work alone, well, don't worry. Hunt a Killer is designed so you can play it any way you want, whether it's by yourself, with your cat, or your whole crew. Hunt a Killer even has a thriving online community of over 100,000 active members. And these spoiler-free communities help each other solve difficult puzzles and talk about true crime. You know, actually, we at Soundstooth played through an entire investigation as a team, and it was honestly some of the most fun we've ever had. And right now, just for you, our listeners, you can go to huntakiller.com and use discount code SOUNDSTOOTH for 20% off your first box. Again, use the discount code SOUNDSTOOTH, S-O-U-N-D-S-T-O-O-T-H for a 20% discount and to show your support for the Spare Some Change with Landry Miller podcast. So, ask yourself this, do you have what it takes to hunt a killer? We'll find out at huntakiller.com. Huntakiller.com, discount code SOUNDSTOOTH. My guest today is an activist, a yoga instructor, uh, teaches at a cancer clinic. She's the co-chair of the Tulsa Ready for 100 campaign, a member of the Type Rose sustainability crew. She's a nurse. And to be clear, even though she has worked in public health for 25 years, she is not speaking as an employee of the health department. But now let's get right to our conversation. She's been one of my absolute favorite people to talk to on the show. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Nancy Moran. Well, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, obviously, you have you are involved in a lot, so I'm sure your time is uh, is valuable. Um, so we appreciate you you stopping in to talk to us. Um, You're more than welcome. Uh, so, uh, as you were talking about, we were talking before this. Um, there is a scorecard coming out, actually. <laughs> after we record this, um, but probably around the time people listen to it or watch it, um, which is something that you've been involved with because um, the American uh, Council for Energy Efficient Economy, is that what it's called, correct? Yes. Um, They uh, kind of do scorecards for cities, I I assume. Is that kind of what the case is? Well, they do a lot of scorecards, and one of them is called the Clean Energy... Clean City Energy Scorecard, which uses 80 different metrics to determine how a city is doing in terms of energy efficiency uh, and clean energy initiatives and community-wide, you know, goals 
re regarding energy efficiency and reducing carbon footprint. And last year, Tulsa was ranked 74 out of 75 cities on the scorecard. And I was horrified and I was upset. And uh, the more I thought about it, it, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe we're actually doing better and, and, and that the word just didn't get out to the Raiders. Right. And I wondered how they came up with that score. So I wrote them. And what I learned was that uh, the city of Tulsa had not uh, filled out the scorecard. And, you know, it was quite an onerous task with, you know, 80 different questions. And we know that civil servants are overworked, so not holding it against them or anything. Uh, but I wanted to, I, wa I asked them if we could have the opportunity to fill it in. I was, I uh, approached the Tulsa Urban Data Pioneers, which is uh, a kind of a partnership between, you know, community members and city employees, which, uh, you know, looks at identifying and solving problems and uh, using data and trying to come up with innovative solutions to the challenges that face Tulsa. Yeah. And, you know, I've been trying to promote, you know, clean energy for quite some time at the city of Tulsa. So I felt like, you know, uh, having my project idea accepted was kind of like me getting in the side door. <laughs> it was great. I was like so happy yeah. because, you know, trying to get questions answered, trying to get people to make commitments, trying to get past just people thanking you for, you know, being concerned about this. Um, you know, I wanted action. But yeah. in order to take action, you have to know, you know, have to have information about, you know, where we stand. And, you know, part of my approach is to try to amplify, you know, what's already working and what we're doing and to give credit where credit's due. And I felt like I knew that there were people that were, were that cared about energy efficiency and cared about sustainability uh, and clean energy in Tulsa. And I felt that they were slighted by not having, you know, this scorecard filled out. So we uh, put together a team and we were able to complete it. And what I'm really happy about is that the information for the scorecard was actually due last November. And so I kind of sweet talked them and just said, please, you know, we're, commun we're, we're community uh, or uh, volunteers and we really want to push our city to do the right thing. And this is a chance for us to do it. And, and so they actually gave us an extension of four months. Wow. So we were able to turn in the scorecard late. And uh, during the time uh, that we were working on the scorecard, we uh, found out that uh, the 2020, in the 2020 scorecard, Tulsa was ranked 94 out of 100. And that was confidential, so we couldn't share it. Okay. But we had practically nowhere else to go but up. And in both the 2019 and the 2020 scorecard, Tulsa ranked just ahead of Oklahoma City, which actually has an office of sustainability. And I suspect that they also didn't fill out the scorecard. So we were able to answer 39 out of 80 questions. While last year, I think it was just six that were answered. And wow. the answers were uh, promulgated from publicly available information. So... We uh, we're gonna see tomorrow whether or not we got out of the the bottom ten percent. Yeah, and I'm excited, and I'm hoping that the mayor will talk to us about it. Yeah, I think that 
you know, since the time that re the report came out, he's been dealing with crisis after crisis, and maybe this just hasn't come to his attention. Mm. And uh, I'm hoping to bring it to his attention. And I've, I've sent him the report uh, last week, and I'm waiting to hear back from him. And I think, you know, there's no time like the present. And uh, this, is real, this is really probably the, the optimal time to talk about what we accomplished is once this report comes out tomorrow. So tomorrow uh, we'll find out, and I'm very excited. Yeah, that I I uh, <laughs> I'm glad we get to do this interview before that, <laughs> so we can get an we update. We can talk about it next time. Yeah, as I say, we'll get an update from you. Yes. Um, so let's go right into this then, um, which is the um, something you're, you know, uh, the the Ready for 100 campaign. Um, I just want to get right into that because I, if I'm being honest with you, I didn't know anything about this um, until I saw you post about it. And, right. um, and I was like, what is this? I, I uh, okay. looked it up and, and I, this is something that I wish more people did know about. And I, I would love to hear more just about it, what it is. Okay. Well, I'd just like to go back for a second to the scorecard. Oh, sorry. You know. Yeah, of course. No, no, that's okay. Um, you know, because so, much, you know, one of the reasons I, you know, I wanted to, uh, to do this scorecard is that, you know, the city of Tulsa actually has a goal to uh, become carbon neutral. And, uh, you know, in, in the, uh, in a, in a state, uh, I guess, a, I don't know, a white paper that talks about the, the underlying principles of our comprehensive city plan, it says that Tulsans want their city to be a leader in sustainability, carbon neutrality, and efficient use of natural resources. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the great thing about this scorecard is that it also, aside from, you know, giving cities a score, it also lets them compare themselves to other cities of similar size and makes recommendations. So, you know, the ACs, ACEEE, you know, to shorten it, um, you know, is right in line with the goals of Ready for 100. Uh, they recommend that the city of Tulsa establish goals for greenhouse gas reduction, energy efficiency, and renewable energy. And that uh, we uh, reduce energy use in municipal buildings, update energy efficiency, and initiate solar readiness building codes, create distributed energy systems. So basically, you know, when we talk about addressing climate change and reducing our carbon footprint, which is, you know, I've got in front of me, one of the goals uh, of the city of Tulsa, it says that we will establish goals in reducing the city's and regional's, region's carbon footprint and incentivize building practices that maximize energy and water use efficiency. So a lot of times when we, we talk about climate change and uh, greenhouse gases, you know, we hear, we, we talk mostly about, you know, the transition to clean renewable energy, but half the pathway to uh, carbon neutrality is through energy efficiency. And the great thing about, you know, you know, you, the oil and gas market is very volatile. You know, I think Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma, I think is in the top three states for job losses because of energy and gas. So much of our state funding you know, uh, relies on oil and gas revenues. Mm -hmm. The prices can go up and down. 
But with, with renewable fuels, you know, once we are able to transition, those costs will become very predictable. And so part of the, part of the, uh, the steps in our Ready for 100 campaign is doing our homework and finding out you know, what's already happening, what's possible, and creating you know, the argument for this. Because as you had mentioned, I think earlier, that yes, it is, it, it is hard to try to uh, push for renewable energy in a state and city dominated by oil and gas. Absolutely. So uh, energy efficiency is part of the Ready for 100 campaign. And the Ready for 100 campaign is predicated on the, the, uh, the research that has been published in peer-reviewed articles saying that in order to reduce you know, the worst effects of climate change, we have to reduce our greenhouse gases by 60% by 2030 and, and just get off dirty burning fossil fuels by uh, 2050. So the, wow. the Ready for 100 campaign is a campaign that is taking place in somewhere around about 200, close to 250 cities. Uh, it's a nationwide effort to get <clears throat> cities, counties, and states to get a commitment to have all of our electricity generated by clean renewable sources by 2035, and have, have all energy used within our borders uh, be generated by renewable sources by 2050. Wow. So here we are in 2020, so we have 30 years. So we're not, you know, going off of what our comprehensive plan says that, you know, we plan to establish goals for reducing the cities and regions carbon footprint. Yeah. And that that plan is predicated on the desire of Tulsans for the tel- for the city to be a leader in sustainability, carbon neutrality yeah. and energy and efficient use of natural resources. Ready for 100 is not some radical campaign. We are we are asking for what the city has already promised that it was going to do. You know, we have a uh, 2011 uh, uh, sustainability plan. And, uh, you know, it was heralded as, you know, a plan that was not going to be just shoved away in a drawer up in the ethers or, you know, wherever wherever things are stored on the cloud. (laughs) And, uh, and that it would that we would act upon it. But the city of Tulsa lost its funding for the sustainability office and very little progress has been made. And now Oklahoma city has a sustainability plan and with a dozens of uh, planned initiatives and ordinances that they are going to hopefully pass. Yeah. It's uh, predicated on the argument that, uh, you know, we can't be left be, be left behind in the clean energy revolution and that the health, costs and the economic costs of non-compliance to uh, air quality standards are, you know, destroying health and uh, will cost all kinds of money in trying to, uh, to comply if we are found to be not uh, in compliance with ozone standards or PM 2.5. 
And Tulsa uh, has long struggled with, with its ozone pollution. And a good portion of that pollution is generated by the oil and gas uh, industry, as well as traffic and other like non-point sources, you know, right. dusty, uh, you know, just things that aren't necessarily measured, but, you know, they're out there and they're breathing. And people yeah. will, uh, you know, sometimes think that their air is fine. They may, may live out in the countryside and they, but you move away to get out of the city where it's clean and fresh not realize that ozone doesn't smell and that ozone is not is does not is not uh is produced different from where it ends up so ozone is basically a chemical reaction between pollution and, and sunshine and the wind carries it away so air quality can you know winds generally blow from the southwest so areas north of the city actually have some worse air quality than in tulsa wow at least with ozone, you know, on some days. And also uh, uh, particular matter 2.5, which is tiny particle pollution, particles that are smaller than 1 30th the width of a human hair that easily is breathed in, deep in the lungs, goes into the bloodstream, can pass through the blood-brain barrier, uh, and is associated with, with uh, you know, premature death, and lots of and basically damages our health from our bones to our brain it's associated with dementia with uh, mental illness of course with asthma lung disease cancer uh autism premature birth so basically you know when we when our body when we take in air pollution it's treated like it's a foreign invader you know like a yeah. microbe or a virus and uh, our body launches an immune response and part of the immune response is inflammation and inflammation is basically like you know war you know and it should be a under controlled situation so you you go in you know you try to to root out you know what's causing harm but unfortunately part of the immune system's mechanisms also damage healthy tissue as well and yeah. so that's why it can lead to other health conditions, like a, even diabetes. So in yeah. 2018, Tulsa uh, was ranked uh, number four in the nation among large metropolitan areas for its uh, the number of unhealthy days uh, because of particle or particle matter 2.5 or PM 2.5 pollution. So we had 146 unhealthy air days in 2018 now i don't know about 2019 that report's not in but yeah. um and part of that had to do with wildfires and so what mm. you know t we may we may not make the list this year because obviously these horrible wildfires that are burning out west but even just i mean a couple weeks ago i don't know about you but i i you know that we had some hazy air yeah and that air was from california so it it, it, you know, it, it <laughs> so you know the the wow. the ready for 100 campaign is you know basically you know a, a public health campaign because yeah. you know it's hard to be healthy when you don't have clean air and climate change is is a threat to our health as well because well well first of all you know as 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 the earth heats up you know that's going to be hard on people who work outdoors it's yeah. going to be hard on the elderly 
Um, it's going to be uh, hard on children and pregnant women. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, Tulsa uh, was ranked by uh, the American Academy, uh, it's American Academy, oh gosh, for Asthma and Allergy, no, Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, sorry, okay. ranked uh, Tulsa number 37th in the nation as terms of most challenging places to live if you have asthma. And if you have allergies, we're the 23rd most challenging place to live. Wow. Now, people don't really link allergies with climate change, but with increased CO2 in the air, that causes more pollen to be released. So allergies are, are, uh, are probably going to get worse. Wow. Um, it's also a health threat in terms of just you know, risk of injury and loss of life because of, of climate disasters and, and extreme weather. And uh, also it's just a, it's a hardship, especially on communities of color and uh, under-resourced communities that, you know, if their neighborhoods are destroyed, if they lose their home, if they're hurt, uh, if they get sick, uh, they don't have the insurance, they don't have the backup savings. So, you know, climate change is a, you know, addressing climate change is an environmental justice issue. And it's also an, a generational justice issue because young people today like yourself, you know, you've grown up with a lot and I feel for you because uh, you're like, just, you're actually younger than my, my kids are like 30, 31, 33. And uh, they've grown up with war <laughs> and yeah. now they're growing with pandemic. I mean, they've grown up now, but you know, kids, younger people now have so many challenges and uh, some of them, you know, are wondering, you know, they get depressed, they get help, they feel helpless. They wonder not whether they want to have children and what the world's going to be like. Yeah. And uh, those are tough questions and I can't answer them for them, but I can remember, you know, I can remember their pain and I can remember that, you know, part of me showing love and living compassionately, compassionately is caring about those who are going to be harmed by climate change and, and air pollution. Wow. It's not always as maybe satisfying as, you know, as, you know, acts of mercy and kindness. And, uh, but fortunately as a nurse, I, I get that on the job, but it, it's, you know, working on these issues is very much an uphill battle, trying to, to change policy, change course, you know, of our economic, uh, of the economy, which is basically based on, on, burning fossil fuels is really an uphill battle. And, yeah. uh, but that's why, as I mentioned, I showed you my, one of my, uh, collages that's from the, uh, climate, the youth climate change March last September mm -hmm. is that I have to remember what motivates me and what motivates me are my children and their children. Yeah. And, uh, people all over the world who are already suffering the worst effects of climate change. You know, people are, are concerned in this country because we have migrants that are clamoring to get in. And, you know, part of what's driving that are crop failures. Yeah. You know, down in, in Guatemala, Nicaragua, El Salvador, you know, used to be you could predict, you know, when you plant your seeds that the rains would come and the weather would get warm and, uh, the rain, you know, and, and you'd have a crop, you know, it's harder to, it's harder for these, uh, these subsistence farmers to, to survive. And so they're, they're coming to us. 
some pe some uh, some people say that uh, you know the uh, the wars that have taken place in Syria are also fueled by climate change because you know once again people are not are are fa failing to be able to make a living in in rural areas and are coming to the cities yeah. and you know unemployed people with no opportunities is a recipe for civil unrest. Uh, you know, the, and then, well, just you look at the fires that take place. We look at hurricanes uh, that are getting stronger and wetter because, you know, warmer air holds more moisture. And so, you know, a year or so ago, when we talked about Ready for 100, we were afraid to bring up climate change because uh, that was that's considered, and it still probably is considered like a a polarizing term. So if you're if you happen to be Republican, you're less likely to be concerned about climate change than if you're a Democrat. But so we you know we, we didn't really want to bring that up. Instead, you know we like to talk about uh, what they call the co-benefits of addressing climate change, like clean air, more green spaces, you know, planting trees. Uh, eating food locally, uh, you know, creating new jobs. When you look at, you know, speaking of young people, when, when you look at the at, uh, jobs in the oil and gas industry, uh, the numbers created in that industry are being outpaced by those created in the clean renewable energy sector by five to one. Yeah. And that many analysts say that the jobs that have disappeared in the oil and gas industry are not coming back. And besides that, when you talk to young people, uh, those surveyed, 66% of them don't want to work in the oil and gas industry because they feel like it's basically dirtying and destroying the nest in which they live. Yeah. And they don't want to be part of that. And uh, so, the, you know, Tulsa has an opportunity to shift away from being, you know, the oil cap of the world to, to being the, uh, the energy cap of the world. And, you know, and when we hear Mayor Bynum talk about becoming a world-class city, I think a world-class city isn't just because we're competitive with other cities around the world. It's because we cooperate. And global change is a, I mean, climate change is a global problem and solutions must be created on a local level. And when we create them on a local level, that's when we, and we also experience the benefits of, you know, ourselves here in our own city. Yeah. So, what, uh, a few minutes ago when you were going through the list of just everything that um, that this affects in our life, because, you know, we all know that climate change affects, you know, food production, water availability, wildlife, human health, all of this stuff. Oh, boy, as you were going through the list, I, <laughs> I got terrified and teared up a little there for a second um, because it genuinely, I think, because on a national level, this conversation is so polarizing. Like you said, I think we forget that it is affecting us all day, every day, in every single way. Um, I think, um, so I guess the question is, is what, what can someone like me do, or someone like who's watching or listening to this, what, what, can, we, what can we do? <laughs> well... How do we... well, first of all, you can start with your own carbon footprint yeah. because even though, and, and you don't want to stop there because there is always a danger like, well, I recycle, so that's enough and I can pat myself on the back and then maybe be, go ahead and 
you know, be wasteful in this area because I'm doing so well. And, you know, so it's really important to, to start where you are in your own environment without, and, and while at the same time understanding that as important that, as that is, we have to address, you know, systemic issues, you know, beyond what we do in our own, you know, little, in our own homes, whether yeah. it's recycling or, you know, opening the windows instead of the air conditioner, riding our bike to work like I do, uh, eating locally, composting, uh, eating less meat, uh, that sort of thing. You know, we can, we can talk to our friends, we can talk to our families, our, our workplaces, we can ask our workplaces to, uh, to engage in more sustainability practices and energy efficiency measures. We can uh, contact our, our, our government officials, we can, you know, be part of campaigns like Ready for 100 or the uh, Thai Pros Sustainability Crew. And, uh, but you're right. I mean, it's like, what can one person do? You know, I always try to remember that, you know, you, you got to look beyond your own peripheral vision of what you're doing, what you're seeing, and know that, that there are other people that are acting. We don't hear about that. And at some point, you know, there comes a tipping point where, you know, change becomes inevitable. And I think, you know, that's starting to happen uh, with the clean, clean renewable energy because the prices are falling, the storage is getting better and cheaper. Uh, major uh, global investment funds are disinvesting in oil and gas. And many companies, big companies are starting to set uh, greenhouse gas goals and are, you know, when they're looking for new, locations to to open up another uh you know office or plant uh they're wanting cities to uh to also have climate action plans in fact uh not having a climate action plan which tulsa does not have is is seen as a detriment to investors because they want to make sure if they're going to spend millions of dollars that there's not going to be a climate disaster which destroys all of their investment but yeah. You know, my thing is, you know, I think, you know, I have all my, try not to make it fall, but like I say, frustration and failure, destruction and setbacks are all part of the path. Sudden shifts happen. As water gets cooler, you might not see it. Then a tipping point, mass crystallization, liquid now solid. The culture shifts, change occurs, justice prevails, don't give up. The impossible takes a while. So you've got, you know, there is no guarantee. There's no guarantee. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, you have to ask yourself, what side of history do you want to be on? Do you want to give in to despair and false hopelessness? Or do you want to be disappointed <laughs> because maybe it, things didn't change as fast as you want, but that's, that's history though. I mean, yeah. Any, you know, you look at slavery, you look at women's rights, you look at ch ch children's labor, you know, so many things, you know, we don't always get to see the results of our actions, but we have to know that we're part of, you know, uh, we're part of history and we're part of a, a wave that is growing. And I think people are waking up to climate change. It's kind of hard to ignore when, you know, the world's on fire or, or flooded. And, and, 
you know, and, and even now with, you know, our, uh, with the COVID, the, uh, the pandemic, you know, it's, you know, in the very beginning, you know, started to, to notice that um, black Americans, Hispanic Americans were suffering greater mortality and morbidity. And, and part of it had to do with, you know, lack of access to care and part of it with uh, exposure, pre-existing conditions. But what researchers also found is that counties that had the highest level of air pollution uh, also had higher rates of COVID infections because the chronic damage that air pollution does to our lungs and our health. And so people are starting to connect the dots a little bit between the air that we breathe and, and health. And, and I think COVID uh, made that clear. And, and people are starting to realize that, you know, you know, and understand that, you know, your zip code should not predict, you know, your early demise. And that, you know, the zip codes with the highest levels of pollution typically are, you know, are occupied by communities of color. In fact, um, according to the one EPA study, um, in 46 out of 50 states, communities of color breathed dirtier air than, than white Americans. Wow. And so that's, there, there's, there's, a, there's a pollution gap, you yeah. know, uh, air is not created equal, air is not equal, and, 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 and not only that, you know, the, the people that are breathing the dirty air have, their health has already been compromised by the stress of, you know, racism, you know, lack of access to healthcare, uh, lack of, you know, good food that's available readily in their neighborhoods. Uh, so it's, wow. it's all, people are, are starting to connect the dots between, you know, racism and, you know, even you know, disproportionate use of force against communities of color, you know, poor housing, and the fact that, you know, people are living in neighborhoods where they're, they're more likely to have uh, fossil fuel industry, waste incinerators, and other polluting industries. Yeah. So, and they're starting to see like, that's, that's a form of, that's a form of racism. Yeah. That's that is also violent. It doesn't kill as fast, but but air pollution actually kills more people than guns in this country. Wow. Over a hundred thousand people die of air pollution related costs and people or causes. And what most people don't realize too is that fifteen percent of those deaths are in rural areas. And we're seeing that here in northeast Oklahoma now with the proliferation of the ch of the chicken factory farms. Yeah. And and people that that had once lived in this lovely bucolic environment and felt the breeze and smelled the, the, you know, the, the, the hay and the, and the flowers and, you know, and, and now they're smelling, you know, chicken poop. Yeah. And it's going to, it's, and the health effects are going to be, they're going to become apparent. It just, we just probably hasn't been documented yet, but it will be. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, I'd like to talk about one other thing um, yeah, as a, I was a, uh, a fellow with the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments. And uh, as part of that fellowship, I had to do community-based research and I was kind of at a loss of what to do. 
And, uh, you know, I, I've read a lot and I'm, maybe I'm quoting a lot of things to you and I sound really smart and how does she know all that stuff and blah, blah, blah. Well, it's one thing to know all that. It's one thing to actually to, to uh, talk to people that have been affected by yeah. pollution. And so that's what the fellowship allowed me to do. So what I did is I devised a survey on air quality perception, and I went door to door with some other nurses and other uh, interested citizens, uh, and we, not, we went door to door in the homes and apartments located near the Holler Refinery, and we asked them about what they thought about the air quality. And I told everybody, let's be really careful about not asking leading questions. Just ask them, what do you think? I'm just asking you about the quality of the, the air you breathe in your neighborhood. What do you think of it? Is it good? And over 80% in uh, the area near uh, the Holly Refinery thought it was not good. Wow. And close to over 50, 55% or so uh, were worried about their health or the health of their families. A third complained about, you know, ear, uh, eyes, nose, uh, throat irritation, difficulty breathing, uh, or triggers or asthma. You know, almost half, or maybe it was about half, uh, wanted to move because of the air quality. Uh, something over forty percent just uh, sometimes would not want to let their kids play outside because they thought the air was quality was bad. And I also did this survey in, uh, in the Heights District, which is formerly the Brady Heights District mm -hmm. yeah. and the Crosby Heights District. Okay. And uh, you know, the findings were pretty dramatic as well. And well, in fact, uh, the percentage who felt that the air quality was poor in those was, you know, edging up towards 100%. Wow. So... Wow. So I think probably in uh, in the area near near the refinery it's worse. <clears throat> and I decided to do do that study because last year when it was flooding I rode my bike over there just cuz I wanted to see cuz I thought what if we have a flood of disastrous proportions and that it floods the refinery. Yeah. And you know on the refinery our retention tanks filled with all kinds of toxic goo and uh from from the from uh, the oil refinery project pro process. Yeah. And I thought, what if it gets flooded? And I was just worried. So I rode my bike over there and I'd never been up close. And I was like, oh my God, this is really, you know, ugly. I mean, I, I see it from across the river, but I'd never been up, up close. And, uh, you know, and, and on the way back, you know, my throat was just bothering me. And I thought, this is crazy. What if I lived over there? So that's why I thought, you know, get out from, you know, in front of my computer and, start hoofing it in the neighborhood and find out what people think. And, uh, you know, it was really disturbing. One woman said, uh, she said, we asked him, what do you want the city, you know, the city to do? And, and, you know, the majority of people, you know, very high percent, I think it was like close to 90%. And I don't have that right in front of me. I'm sorry. <clears throat> you know, wanted the city to take some action. But one of the women said, and it was very poignant. She said, you know, tell them to, to make the air smell better for us poor folks. Yeah, it was. Wow. Yeah. And then one woman uh, who was going to be relocated because the apartments that she's living in are being torn down to put up new housing funded by HUD uh, the through the Choice Neighborhood Project. 
you know, she and, and several others were asking, like, I don't even know why they're building anything new here because I don't think it's livable over here. Wow. You know, and, and yes, you think you'll come back, even though everything's going to be a whole lot nicer. And, you know, they were indecisive. Or you talked to one woman who, who said, uh, you know, one day it was so bad. I said, I just want to go. I just want to drive out of here. And then her car was broke down, you know, so she yeah. couldn't even leave. Yeah. Or people that, uh, who had never lived over there and, uh, and had just moved there recently were like, I never had these problems before I moved over here. Wow. And I, I, uh, you know, spoke in front of city hall council about that. I've written the mayor. I never got a response from him. I've written, uh, you know, all the city councilors and, you know, people are, they listen and they're polite and, and they're overworked. They don't have time to deal with all these big concerns. I, I mean, I don't want to blame them and, and all that. And it really takes more person that, more than just one person, you know, to be on their case about it. But recently uh, I finally got Holly to respond to, to uh, my email with my report. And uh, it took about a month and a half. I had to, write them a few times and just say, uh, your corporate, uh, responsibility statement says that you're concerned about the welfare of the neighbors and concerned about sustainability and environmental stewardship. And, uh, this is a concern that these are concerns that have been raised. So I think it's, it's, uh, you know, it's something that you should be interested in uh, yeah. addressing. And so they finally wrote me back about a week ago and they thanked me and they said they will look it over and they will get back to me. And they, what made me smile is that they said, we, it's clear that you've put a lot of work into this. I'm like, well, thank you. <laughs> Cause I have, yeah. I really have. So I, I'm, I'm glad that they saw that and uh, I'm not sure how they're going to respond. And I don't know that I expect that they'll do much. <laughs> but I do want to hold them accountable yeah. to this. And I want to, I want some answers. Yeah. I am and, uh, with you on that, that one. may be all I get, but <laughs> once again, I'm just part of that little tipping point. You know, I, I always, my, I have a lot of mottos. That's why I make the, all these collages that kind of help keep me inspired. But I'd like to say that the, like, like uh, Martin Luther King said, the arc of the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice but it doesn't bend by itself. A yeah. lot of us just got to hang on and wait it down. We've got to do it together. And, yeah. uh, and I'm also only responsible for my own actions. So you can look around you're like, why aren't people doing this? And people are just hypocrites and blah, 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 blah. You know, and you can just focus your mental energy on that and get negative. Or you can think about what can I do? Who yeah. can I influence? You know, and recently, you know, I was very heartened by the fact that, we had two mayoral candidates who, who uh, addressed clean energy and sustainability on their platforms. We had a city councilor uh, candidate, Cheyenne Morgan, who also did that. And that's the first. That had not happened before. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've got, you know, I work with the Metropolitan uh, or MetCare's environmental justice team. And, yeah. uh, you know, we're working on a petition to get the city to uh, – Asked the city to reopen the office of sustainability and to also uh, make sure that when the city of Tulsa in 2022 renegotiates its franchise agreement with PSO that uh, it includes energy efficiency 
and uh, clean energy goals. So the team from the Met Cares and also from the Thai Pros uh, Sustainability Crew and the Urban Crews, uh, we're working on this petition and hope to get it out. So I'm always trying to like push this off to the young people. Believe me, I am ready. I've got a husband that has a chronic illness. Yeah. There's going to be a time where I have to, you know, pretty much probably bow out. And I have had, I've had to bow out of this, these activities for months at a time, caring for him. <clears throat> and so I'm very ready for younger people who are far more capable and far more uh, savvy and influential and in greater numbers than me to, to jump onto this and take, take the reins. I've lived, in, I've lived two thirds of my life. You know, you've got another two thirds of your life left. You know, so we need young people and I'm proud of you for running for office. I thought that took a lot of courage to put your name out there and just say, let's see what happens. I may not win, but it's going to be a learning experience. And I'm going to I'm going to connect with people that maybe I would have never ever talked to before. Absolutely, and you're going to explore some of the issues. Yeah, and I hope that th that was just a beginning for you. Well, I appreciate the kind words, and I appreciate you coming on the show and and uh, educating me, especially on all of this, uh, but also a lot of people. This is I didn't realize um, just how crucial this is to everyday life and how important this is so thank you so much for sharing that and and um i i uh hope that uh we can see even more people join in yes and maybe uh once this report comes out that could be a, a topic of another show yeah uh, and i could hook you up with some people to talk to on that that would be amazing <laughs> well thank you for coming on the show you're most welcome and and Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Keep up the good fight, and don't be too discouraged. And when you do, it's natural. Regroup. I think when, whenever you try something big, there's always going to be a side of you that's just like, why rock the boat? Why, why stick your neck out? You know, but nothing ventured, nothing gained. And there's, there's a lot to lose and a lot to gain, and the stakes are high. And uh, we're pretty much, this is pretty much a turning point uh, in history, we've got to get a handle on, on our greenhouse gases and also uh, just, you know, the way we store carbon, too, through our agriculture, our trees. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's actually so many solutions to climate change that go well beyond energy solutions that if employed together, we could actually draw down our, carbon, our, our greenhouse gases significantly. So we can't lose hope. We have to keep our eye on the prize and remember why we're doing it. And one last little collage. I will say, you know, sweep up, what does it say? Sweep up your little corner of the world and be kind to yourself as well. Because this is a marathon and not a sprint. That's right. So you got to take your water breaks and, uh, it's worth it. And it's a rich life. You're, you know, it's a way to meet some of the best people in the city, yeah. you know, by, by being engaged in these important issues. Mm, definitely. Okay. Wow. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And look forward to, to hearing your, to viewing it. Yes, <laughs> Take of care. Course. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, thank you.
thank you so much to my guest Nancy Moran for coming on the show and for talking me just talking me through why why putting our efforts towards climate change is so important honestly I knew it was a serious issue I did not know just how much of our lives it affects every day every second of every day this was absolutely eye-opening and uh i am definitely going to be putting as much effort as i possibly can um into making sure that people know that we can fight climate change right here right at home this is this is a super important part of keeping ourselves healthy. And I gotta be honest, this episode was, it hit me pretty hard. Um, and I hope maybe it did the same for you. Um, if you want to reach out to us and keep up to date with what we're doing, you can find uh, me on Facebook. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at Landry for Tulsa, where um, we can have a conversation um, and talk a little deeper about this this specific topic and the other ones in the episodes of this show um, I would love to hear back from you on your thoughts not only of this episode but of the whole show in general and see how you feel about fighting for climate change and being on the right side of history thank you again so much for listening and we'll be back with another episode next week thank you again <laughs>